0: Well, hello, Sister Travelers. If you're a regular listener, you may have heard me mention uh, probably a month or so ago that I was headed to do a solo trip to Big Bend National Park here in Texas. And today I'm going to share uh, my experience there, give you a little tips on what to do if you plan to go, and even a bit of an itinerary sharing what I did while I was there at Big Ben National Park in Texas, here in the USA. Welcome to Solo Travel Adventures, my sisters. Don't let fear hold you back from traveling alone. I want you to gather your courage, listen to inspiring stories, and learn how to travel solo while safely navigating new places from this show. I'm Cheryl Esch, solo travel advocate and travel coach, and I want you to have a transformative experience when you travel solo. So pack your bags, book your flight, and check one more time for that passport. It's time to explore the world. Well, if you're from the U.S., you know that we have 63 national parks here in the U.S., and they are vastly different, but they're all phenomenal. I have not been to all of them. My goal one day is to reach all of them. But on my list, of course, since I've lived in Texas for about 14 years, I thought it was due time for me to get to... There's two national parks here in the state of Texas. So the first one I hit in October was Big Ben National Park. Now, Big Ben is far west Texas Um a little south from where I am. I'm in Dallas, so it took me, it's a good eight-hour drive, and there's really no easy way to get there. Um, They call it splendid isolation for a reason. Um, It is 800,000 acres of uh, land um, that just, it's a geographic marvel of, you know, you go from vast desert landscapes um, to rocky, you know, mountain ridges, and just there's carved out canyons near the border of mexico and it is considered the 15th largest national park in the u.s so uh, there's lots to see i will tell you um basically if you are a hiker this is the place to go. There are a lot of other parks too. that have lots of hiking, um, but this park actually has 200 miles of different trails that you can do, and they're quite challenging. Believe it or not, you think desert? Well, that can be kind of challenging in the summer with the sweltering heat. But you then you have these mountain ridges where you have to climb. Um, there is uh, one of the Emery Peak is actually almost 8,000 feet. So we talk about those high peak climbs and that would be one to try to conquer Um, I did not get to that one Um, and you know there's just lots to do there as far as just getting outdoors and seeing nature and the fauna there's just so many different plants that you just even though I've lived in Texas that you just don't have right we don't have in Dallas and you won't have anywhere else it's just very different than what you might be used to seeing. So I'm going to also share the best time to go is spring and fall. You can also go in the winter. Um, Their busiest time actually is November through April and the hottest month they say is June. But I imagine July and August, especially in the desert plain areas, like if you're doing any of those types of hikes. Now, if you're doing the mountain hikes, uh, it does get cooler. Of course, as you know, as you climb higher up, but that those would be also additionally, you know, hot months. Uh, and October, I think I went in October. I thought it was delightful. I think it's the perfect month to go. Um, it may also be a little busy, um, but I didn't find it overly busy to be honest. And the weather was ideal. It was eighties. Uh, the first day I was there and like high seventies, or so, um, the other two days I was there. And of course the evenings dropped down to pretty cool, um, fifties maybe when I was there. So to me, that's perfect. Ideal, even ideal camping weather, uh, to me. So, yeah. So you get there, how do you get there? Well, you have to drive. (laughs) It is, it is far and there's nothing close by. So, um, You know, some of the things I recommend, even before you go, like some important considerations because of the isolation of the park, one, you really want to get a full tank of gas before driving into the park. And for me, coming from the north end of uh, the state and the north entrance, uh, there was a city called Marathon. It's about one hour from the entrance, and that is where you will need to fill up your gas tank. Now, there is a gas station, a very small one. Inside the park, Um, but they of course charge an absorbent amount of money per gallon, and that's for a reason because it's really hard and isolated for those uh, gas tankers, I guess, to get there. Um, So, definitely fill up your gas tank because even the three days I was driving around the park, because the park is so huge, I essentially used up almost a full tank of gas. So, you want to make sure you have that full tank of gas, uh, before you go into the park. Um, number two, bring supplies, meaning food, water. And if you plan to camp, make sure you have all the supplies you need. They do have some visitor centers and camping supply place, uh, stuff there, but, um, it is limited. So bring your own stuff, lots of food and water. There's not a whole lot of places to eat. I'll get to that in a moment. Um, number three, I'd say definitely get yourself a paper map of the park. That's something you can get at the entrance or even maybe beforehand uh, because GPS doesn't always work, especially um, you know when you're in those valleys or even in the mountains. It's, it's really hard to get any kind of service there. Um, matter of fact, the only time I was able to get service was at the visitor centers. So, um, you know, just... Keep that in mind. Um, It's a great place and great time to uh, disconnect and untether, maybe from the distractions of your phone. But to get there, of course, you do do, you do need to drive. Um, There's no public transportation. There's no trains. There's you know, it's just really um, remote. Uh, But the closest airports, if you are flying and you don't live in Texas, is Midland Odessa, which is 235 miles from the north entrance. And then El Paso, it's 330 miles uh, from an entrance. Um, There are only two entrances into the park. Um, the first one is the North entrance. So like if you're driving, maybe you're driving from Austin, you know, you could also fly into Austin a little, a little different, uh, drive, but you could do that. It is a bigger airport by chance. So, uh, Persinium, uh, is Persinium Gap is the North entrance and that's the one I came in from. Um, and then there's the Maverick entrance, which is the West entrance and it's near, uh, to Terlingua, the town of Turlingua, which is quite an interesting little town. Um, there, There's stuff to do there as well. Um, once you enter uh, the north entrance, I will tell you, there is nothing uh, for about, I think it's 27 miles from the entrance uh, of the north side to get to the visitor center. And that first visitor center that you run into kind of, almost in the center of the, of the park is called Panther Junction. Um, there are five visitor centers in the park, but that's the first one you'll reach if you come in from the north and, um, it's 27 miles of just vast desert. Uh, there's nothing. Uh, so if you have to go to the bathroom, there is a bathroom at the entrance, uh, when you first come in. Um, and there's also restrooms at all the visitor centers otherwise, but it's, and you can only go, um, i trying to remember the, I think it's only 40 miles per hour is the speed limit. So you can't go real fast. So it takes, you know, uh, almost, I don't know, it took me, you know, to get from one point to another point in the park, it would often take an hour just to get to one place to the other uh, because of the slow driving. And if you plan to stop along the way and, you know, take in the scenery, you know, that's going to take a little extra time as well. And I, and I encourage that because you're going to see a lot of formations, of rock formations along the way. You're going to see, um, you know, you come certain times, you might see the sunrise or the sunset over the ridge, and that is absolutely stunning. Uh, the second visitor center that is the most populated one is is the Chiso Basin Visitor Center. And that is where the lodge is. And that is actually, you need to talk about where to stay. um, That is one of the only places that has, you know, regular accommodations. Um, So we'll get that in a second. But there are three other, um, you know, visitor centers. Uh, Well, actually, two two other ones. I already mentioned Persinium Gap, there's Panther Junction and and then Chiso Basin Visitor Center. That's the big one. That's also where almost all the trailheads are for any kind of uh, hiking that you may want to do. Most of them start there. Um, there uh, Castellone Visitor Center. It's actually closed in the summer. It was not open when I went. And then there's the Rio Grande Village. Um, that's On the far southeast of the east part of the park, it also has an RV uh, campsite there. So speaking of places to stay, um, you know, if you're not into, you don't have an RV or you're not into camping or or you don't like tents, then you're going to want to stay at the Chizo Mountain Lodge. It's the only accommodations that you can get inside the park. Otherwise, you're spending a lot of time driving in and out because there aren't really any close towns to uh, to the park at all. Um, so there's some RV campgrounds. There's also some tent campgrounds, and then if you really like, uh, you know, the backcountry, uh, there's some backcountry campsites, and all of those can be booked online. You can actually go to uh, Big Bend National Park uh, there a website, uh, through the national park services. And there are links within that to those various places where you can book online. And those do fill up, uh, fast, uh, especially the lodge, uh, during those busy seasons. Okay. So especially believe it or not during Thanksgiving, uh, they say it books up pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, I would imagine November would also be a spectacular month to go to, uh, the park, um, so now the backcountry campsites, uh, you have to really like hiking and um, roughing it, right? Because there is no water sources in many of those backcountry sites. And there's also no uh, bathrooms. So there are some that might have, a, you know, maybe just a, a bathroom facility, possibly. Um, but a lot of those backcountry ones, they, you have to hike inward, into the backcountry for several, several miles, uh, before you actually get to maybe your campsite. And there are, uh, lots of wildlife. So, you know, when I was there, one of the backcountry campsites encountered a bear. Um, people that I also ran into had said they saw a bear on one of their hikes. Um, the bear actually, because someone had left their food out, as you know, you can't leave food out because bears are enticed by that. And they didn't put it in a bear can, um, you know, were disruptive in that campsite. So, uh, you know, the ranger was actually warning some people that morning um, uh, that I was hanging out about the bear citing an incident they had the night before in one of those backcountry campsites so you know it's up to you what, uh, what you like to do if you really like roughing it um, but make sure you go prepared as I mentioned before so there's you know things to do there there's just hiking mostly or some scenic drives that you could do for sure um, as like I said there's 200 miles of trails here's my recommendations of some great trails that you could do um there are some challenging trails for sure, uh, but there are also a couple easy ones that I'll mention as well. And so these are actually um, all the trails I did while I was there. And I did break it up into uh, three days of doing these, uh, these trails. So uh, the Lost Mind Trail is actually very close to uh, the The Chizo Basin Visitor Center, it's not far from there. Uh, Parking is limited, they say, so um, you might have to park along the street uh, or get there rather early. I would say get there early, especially if it's a warm day. I made the mistake of kind of arriving right at high noon, and it was rather warm. It was in the 80s that day, but it is a 4.8-mile round trip up the whole way. Um, It is rather rocky, it's doable. They say on all trails it was it would take you two and a half hours. Well, it took me three, and I would consider myself a moderate hiker. Um, not slow, but also not too fast. Um, I would recommend po- hiking poles. I, I did it without, but was kind of regretting that I left them in my car. Um, so some people did it with, some without. It just if you do have some knee issues. Um, the poles may help with some of those rocky areas, but definitely worth it. Um, uh, there's lots of scenic overlooks on the way up. And once you get to the top, even more so, and I saw some, uh, painter on my way up that had set up easel to catch some great landscapes. And there was some professional photographers that were doing, um, you know, just some wonderful capture of some pictures. So, Um, It's very lovely trail. Um, It winds up, you know, a lot of switchbacks, uh, but it's very rocky. And then uh, later that day, after I got kind of settled in, uh, there was, there's the window trail, which is right, again, the trailhead is right there at the visitor center at Chizo Basin. And it is 5.5 miles uh, round trip. And it, it winds around and when you get to the end or at the beginning, you could either not do the whole trail, just do that, what we call the window view trail, which is a very short little paved trail. You can watch the sunset there at at that trailhead. So um, I recommend it was beautiful to see the sunset between the rocks. You know, so there's this, the rock formations kind of create this little window view where you can catch the Western sky and um, lots of people gather. Uh, so get there early. But the other thing is uh, because it's getting to be dusk when that happens, uh, do not forget your bug spray because they will come out and eat you. Um, the the next day I did the classic, uh, very famous Santa Elena Canyon trail. And this is the infamous trail that, uh, you probably see pictures of people. Um, it's, it's where, um, the border of Mexico and the U S are, and it's a beautiful Canyon where the river has carved out, um, this space and so it's two miles round trip approximately it was two miles for me because i had to walk um further down the creek area because you must cross the creek to get to the other side to get to the trail and depending on the time of year um, that creek terlingua creek can be uh, dry or it can you know have water in it and there were parts of the creek Further down, that were just muddy, and so I was able to cross at that area instead of actually having to uh, go through the water. But typically, people do they will climb through the water to get uh, up to the other side. Um, but it was a beautiful, uh, beautiful view. You walk all the way, pretty much, to the end, and you—you know—you see the other side is Mexico. Um, it's a relatively—you go up a couple, you know, go up some stairs. But it's a pretty gentle uh, hike as you weave your way through, and right on the edge of the of the uh, river basin, there you will walk. Right, so it's it's absolutely lovely, very picturesque uh, place. Um, I highly recommend it, and see if you can find a dry spot to cross over it you may have to walk a little further down the creek to find it but definitely worth it so i didn't want to have muddy boots because i did do um, another hike a little later uh, that day Uh, i did try to do um, part of the boot canyon trail and this is 3.5 miles but then it continues on 2.8 more miles to the south rim now I didn't get all the way through I probably only got about two and a half miles maybe three miles I obviously didn't continue to the south rim this one was also very challenging it was a lot of uphill and not as rocky as the lost mine trail though um but definitely just a lot of uh a lot of climbing on that one so definitely um you know, again, make sure you have lots of water, and uh, it was, I liked being challenged in these these trails for sure. Um, in my drive, I also came across uh, the Sam Nail Ranch, and it's a short little pleasant, uh, there's like a windmill there, just a little place to maybe find some solitude, um, and so driving around, you're going to find lots of little pockets of places that you might be able to pull off, and just a the the outside the um the environment now on day three um i did i did a hike that was i definitely recommend but uh depending on what kind of vehicle you have you're going to want to make sure you have a um a vehicle that maybe has four-wheel drive or at least a high clearance, um, because the drive to get into the trail uh, take it's a six point three miles on gravel, and you really can't go any faster than about fifteen miles an hour because there's a lot of dips and uh, holes and then and rocks that you have to uh, you know drive over. So definitely want to have. I was very lucky to have my jeep i was so happy i had it i had my windows down and was driving nice and slowly across those bombs but it was definitely worth the drive in to this this hike now the hike itself it's called the balancing rock hike and it's off of great vine hills trail and it's only 2.2 miles round trip it's very flat and easy in the beginning but then at the last quarter mile um, you have to scramble up the rocks to get to the balancing rock formation but it's definitely worth it um you probably don't need your poles on this one because of the scrambling part you really can't use your poles and in the flat part you really don't need them but on this hike i actually got to see the some rams in the high uh rocky parts of the plateaus that are there, uh, just kind of hanging out and climbing up those those side of the rocks there, which was quite amazing. Um, I was kind of excited to see that. It was something I know my, my father used to do. And so to see that alive was actually quite, uh, just seeing any kind of wildlife and all the the different plants that they have it's phenomenal Um, it's just definitely different than what you might be used to depending on where you travel so sisters if you're considering a national park if you're from the u.s um, then that's something you can probably more easily get to Um, if you're coming from another country Just don't forget that in the U.S. we have lots of great national parks, and so depending on where you're traveling to in the U.S., you likely can find a national park. We have 63 throughout the country um, that, you know, you can get to to explore, and if you like being out in nature, of course, I highly recommend it. And even when I'm in other countries, uh, for example, when I was in Ireland, I did, you know find myself in a national park there, which was so lovely. And I do like to explore those areas. And if that's you, then look into just different national parks. They don't have to be in the U.S., um, but see if there's one in the country where you're going to visit and maybe explore and go on a hike. It's lovely to get out into nature. Um, But what I want to say about my experience at Big Ben was it was – exactly what I needed at the right time. And often our solo trips and travel, you know, provide us with what we need, uh, especially if we go in sort of with that uh, mindset that this trip and a lot of the solo trips I have done have provided some sort of healing in a sense, uh, in some way, whether it's just finding that, um, restoration of having that solitude time. Uh, to maybe even healing emotionally because you're, you know, you're away from those distractions or that situation itself. So I, that's why I, one of the reasons I strongly encourage solo travel for women because it offers so much, so much more than just getting to see a different destination. There are physical, emotional, and mental, um, positive benefits to it as well. And so I hope you will get out there and explore on your own. Find that solo adventure that that fills you and gives you that gives you what you need at that moment, whether it's, you know, solitude, whether it's exploration or whether it's adventure and maybe it's a physical healing as well and you can find that often in solo trips as well, because you can go at your own pace and you can do what your body needs to have done, whether it's maybe physically moving or maybe just chilling out on a beach, right? And it's okay to do that as well. Our bodies will tell us what they need. And so I hope that you will, as you plan your trips, your solo trips, that you will listen to what those needs are for you at that season in your life. And so sisters, in the meantime get out there and have an adventure. Hey sister travelers, did this podcast inspire and encourage you or move you to get out there and travel? Wonderful. There are 3 ways you can thank me. First one is leave a written review for the show on Apple Podcast. Two, share the show with your sister travelers, your friends, your family. And three, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And thank you again for listening to the show. Sisters, be fearless, take the leap, and get out there and have an adventure.